morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Man, that, um, that intro from John, like I was just uh, really brought into worship. I kind of wanted to just put it on repeat for like, you know, the next hour or two. Um, maybe I'll do that later on the YouTube. All right. Welcome to New Life. Uh, my name is Young, uh, pastor here at New Life, and it's my pleasure to welcome you in this morning. Uh, we're finishing off our series in the model prayer uh, that the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples and teaches us uh, this morning. So this will be our last message in the series, Teach Us to Pray. Now for this final sermon, as you heard from the scripture reading, we're looking back at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, and... You know, that kind of sets the context uh, for everything that we've heard up until this point. It's the way that he introduces the prayer that we've been focusing on. Um, as you can see from the title screen as well, the title for today's sermon is No One Else Around. No One Else Around. Um, before we get into the message, how about I pray for us? Father, we come together this morning, united once again, Lord. Uh, it's such a privilege to be able to come together, united by you, indeed, united by your presence. As we prayed and as we sang about this morning, God, we deeply, deeply desire that kingdom of heaven. And what is a kingdom without its king? So we look to you at this moment, God, and we ask, Lord, that you would move our hearts for you once again. As we hear your word, as we hear the good news of your grace and your son, Jesus Christ, move our hearts towards love once again. Help us, Lord, to lay aside everything else, to forfeit everything else, to surrender everything else for the sake of your kingdom. We want that treasure hidden in the field. We want that treasure in our hearts. So help us, Lord, to look to you, to desire you, to seek you with our whole hearts, God. Open up our ears by the Holy Spirit and help us, Lord, to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, can I confess something to you this morning? You know, it, it's been a strong conviction for me um, that we must have a teaching series in prayer so that we can learn how to pray together, that we can learn the importance of prayer. And there was this uh, feeling kind of deep in my heart as we began this series that I couldn't teach this on my own, you know, that I couldn't just impart a bunch of uh, messages about prayer and then everyone would just get it, you know. Um, it drove me to prayer in the very beginning just to ask our Father God to be the one to ignite that need in our hearts for us to pray here at New Life. This is, this is the confession part. That's not the confession part. This is the confession. But as the weeks rolled on through the sermon series and as, as you, New Life, have become more and more receptive to the messages, to the sermons, and as I've seen you coming along to Friday night prayer, to 
pre-service prayer, as things seemed to be going well, as people started praying more, something really strange happened. Something very strange happened in my heart because I began to become less and less dependent on prayer. Like, can I confess that to you? There was more and more prayerlessness for me as the series went on. You know, I was still engaging in prayer, but ironically, I saw the results of prayer and began thinking to myself, man, things are going pretty well. Things are going okay. And so I spent more time working myself, you know, rather than praying. And I'm really thankful to God for this gracious revelation. Whatever embarrassment that I might feel uh, as the one talking to you about prayer and confessing to you that I haven't been praying nearly enough, I know that the Lord is kind at the end of the day in revealing this, giving me the opportunity to confess it before you, my church family. And this morning, if you find in yourself your own prayerlessness being revealed, you know, being brought to the surface this morning, this is grace. And we can partake in this glorious repentance together. What greater thing than to recognize what's been going on in our lives, what, where we've gone wrong, and then to turn back to the Father. And finding that he's already run and closed that gap between us, he's already ready. His arms are wide open, ready to just sweep us up in this loving embrace. And this is his grace. His love is for people like you and me who can't quite get it right on our own. We can't do it on our own. But we find our place in the family secure in Jesus. So I pray that you would let this be the Father's gracious revelation to you this morning. As you confess to the Father and to one another your own battles with prayerlessness. Now, as we moved on from last week, you might have become a little bit more aware of the different tests that God's graciously been giving to you. Or perhaps you face some sort of temptation. You know, that old temptation has reared its ugly head once again. Maybe you've even found yourself defeated by them. Whatever the case, maybe you can see that as we draw nearer and nearer to, you know, WinterCon, whether you're going to be physically attending or not, the evil one, our adversary, Satan, he doesn't want you to grow, to gain any sort of true understanding of what it means to treasure Christ. It's the last thing he wants. He doesn't want us to treasure Christ. And on the other hand, this means that we're most likely being tested in this area as well. That the Father wants us to grow and to be refined in prayer and in treasuring Christ. So make that connection today as we bridge over towards WinterCon from this area of prayer, as we finish up this final message in our series, and as we cast our eyes forward to treasuring Christ. There is that connection between prayer and treasuring Christ. The connection is this. The entire prize of the gospel is God himself. It seems a little bit obvious when we say it out loud, but we don't live it. What we do here on Sundays, what our entire faith centers on is God. Not about self-improvement, 
not about making our lives better. These are perhaps some of the fringe benefits that come our way from God, but it's about God himself. If this is the prize of the gospel, if Christ is our true treasure that we seek in the good news that he brings, then the real purpose of prayer is for us to attain this prize, the prize of God. It's not the answers to our prayers necessarily for different things, though they may also be some of the fringe benefits as well. Now, the point of prayer is for us to attain God himself. Until our hearts are moved to this place where God and not the answers to our prayers become our true treasure, well, prayer will remain essentially self-centered for us. We'll be preoccupied with ourselves when we pray. We'll be preoccupied with what we deem to be more important than God. In my own example, being a pastor here at New Life, it might be things like studying, preparing sermons, spending time with you guys, which are good things. And they appear very holy on the surface. And yet they're, they're not the ultimate thing. If it replaces my dependence on prayer for God's nearness, if I start thinking with my own understanding that the way that I do things and the way I prepare are better for my pastoral work here than the presence of God himself, than the time that I spend with God himself, then I sit in a dangerous place. And it reveals how I really feel towards God. Here's a difficult thing. Um, when we try to assess this for ourselves. So how do you know how you feel towards God really? And how you view prayer? Try answering this question for yourself. Is God beautiful to you? Or is God useful to you? And this might be a difficult question for you to answer at different times because your response actually varies from time to time. It's different from time to time if we're really, really honest with ourselves, with our answer. When we're in a good place, God is beautiful. And then we grow forgetful and only go to God when his answers to our prayers will be really useful to us, when we're desperate, when we really need him to come through that one time. And that's when we remember presence of God. Now we value consistency so much in our lives, don't we? I'll give you three quick examples of how we love consistency. And hopefully one of them actually connects with you, right? So if you watch sports, you love when someone else on your team or someone on your team is consistent. If you play sports, probably the same thing, right? But if you watch sports and you're all about your team, you love when there's a player that's really consistent always carrying your team to the finish line. Even when everyone else on your team is crumbling under pressure, you can depend on this one guy, he's dependable. And so it drives you crazy when you have another type of player on your favorite team who's incredibly inconsistent, who can be really incredible in one match and then in the next one you're not sure if he knows how to play the sport. If you watch 
a TV series or a Korean drama, let's say. You love when each episode or each season is consistently good. The story, the acting, everything comes together. And then on the other hand, if you notice a significant drop-off from episode to episode or from season to season, it ruins the rest of the show for you. I'm sure you can think of something, some sort of media that you've partaken in where one season has ruined the rest of the show for you. Now, perhaps the biggest place where we value consistency is in our relationships with one another. Suppose you have a friend who constantly praises you in public, telling everyone around you how great you are, how much they love you, how much they admire you. They just give long and eloquent speeches about how they do anything for you, how much they love spending time with you. And then in private, away from the public eye, nothing. You don't get a phone call. They don't so much as look to you. They don't think about you unless they need something. They just go about their own business. And so you try to bridge that gap. You try to engage with them in conversation, but they don't seem to hear you. You even begin writing letters to them. Maybe you're thinking, maybe they're hard of hearing. And so you start writing letters to them, telling them how much you love them, how much you want to spend time with them. And they might give these letters a bit of a glance every now and then. But otherwise, they just shrug their shoulders, say they're busy, they can't be bothered, and you don't hear from them until you guys are out in public again. Our passage today, Matthew 6, 5 to 6. Whenever you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you read this passage, what do you feel? Do you feel condemned? Is this the first thing that you feel? Because if you're a child of God, I want you to see what Jesus is saying and how he's saying it to his disciples that he loves so much. Jesus teaches this out of concern. His concern is for us, those that he loves. Especially for us, those of us I'm including you with me here, those of us who are regular at corporate prayer meetings and corporate worship, things like Sunday service, but have little to no private prayer lives. That's who he's concerned about. Now, please don't get this wrong. When we read this passage and when we apply it to ourselves, to our church context, this isn't saying that we should never pray in our public gatherings. Like imagine coming to Sunday service and John's like, I'm not gonna pray. What Jesus is talking about here is that private prayer is a practice of faith 
and a marker of this relationship with God that you do when no one else is around. When you do this, when you partake in private prayer, this means you're not doing it because your Sunday group leader is pressuring you, looking at you when everyone else is closing their eyes, asking you to be the one to pray before you start your discussion questions. No. Because doing this means you're not just caught up in the moment, in the excitement of Friday night prayer. We're going along with what all of your friends and your church family are doing. These are all good things as well. But private prayer is important because no one else is peeking in to see if you're actually doing it. No one else is around you when you close your door to your room and you're privately praying. There's no accountability to be had. And you'll only do it if your love for God is genuine and grace has regenerated your heart and it's not just you following the crowd. For me, as someone who is speaking very publicly to you right now, as someone who prays publicly on behalf of the church regularly, let me be the first to confess that it's easier to pray in public than it is to pray in private. If you find it the opposite direction, well, I don't know, maybe you're just more introverted. I'm not sure. But I think it's easier to pray in public. And this is okay to start with. Because how else will you be discipled to pray? It's good for you to be a part of these Friday night prayer meetings. Don't get me wrong. It's good for you to come early and pray a pre-service prayer. And to listen to the public prayers that we do here on Sundays. To pray out loud with your Sunday groups. In order for your own private prayer life to grow. For your own private prayer language to grow, for you to learn how to pray, for you to be discipled in how to pray. But we have to recognize there are some rewards, there are some fringe benefits that come with worshiping together with others. There's some rewards other than God, other than his presence that come with praying together. Do you see this? People will often tell you if you're good at praying, how blessed they were by your prayer. Or you might receive support from people around you when you share your prayer points. People might admire the way that you connect with God and say, like I did, I love the way that you lead us into these things. All good things, but they should never become the ultimate thing or become the reward that we look to when we pray. When it comes to private prayer, Jesus is teaching us that there's only one reward for prayer in secret. It's a relationship with God. There's nothing else. Anglican priest William Temple puts it this way. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. When you have time to yourself, what do you think about? Where does your mind naturally go? What's easy for you to think about? What do you enjoy imagining? Because that is most likely your true God. 
and the one you have faith in, Temple argues. Because this is the thing that has captured your heart and therefore your imagination. And that's why you love to think about it in private. On the other hand, if in the time you have to yourself, you decide to pray, then you know that either you're captivated by him or you're training your heart to find rest in God as your ultimate treasure. I was at a youth camp a few years ago. I met this young year six student, wasn't participating much in the youth camp. You know, there's all the games and activities and worship services that all the volunteers had put together, right? If you've never been to a youth camp, youth camps are pretty fun. You know, they're not like, obviously the main event is the gospel, right? But there's a lot of games happening. Yeah, you just stand off to the side, hands in his pockets, didn't seem super interested in taking part. And over the course of five days, it was a long youth camp, we just find him wandering off into the woods. He'd be looking under, you know, logs and rocks at these bugs. But more than anything, his biggest obsession was with spiders. I don't know why, spiders. I didn't bring a picture of a spider because last time I brought a video of a bird, people didn't like it. Sometimes he'd come wandering back from the woods, back to the rest of the group, with this big spider on his arm. He'd just be looking at it. He just loves spiders so much. And I just, I would say, first of all, put the spider down. I don't want to talk to you with that spider on you, but we wanted to take an interest in what he was interested in. But more than anything, we really wanted him to receive the gospel, to hear the gospel. But we weren't sure what was happening with him. You know, when you're spending time with young people, it's kind of written on their faces, right? They know, like you know, when they're really enjoying it, when they're really getting it, when they're really taking part. But he was unreadable. One night, after the service ends, everyone's heading back to get some dessert. We notice that he's just laying on the floor in the service hall. He's just laying there. And we asked him what he was doing. You know, there weren't any spiders around. You know, he was laying on his back, looking at the ceiling. I'll never forget what he said. I can't stop thinking about God. Like it began in this place of being together with other people, of hearing the gospel together, but it moved to this place all alone, all by himself. I can't stop thinking about God. How do we get to this place for us adults? How do we get to this place that this child got to? How do we move our love from one thing that we're obsessed with to another? Because we're built for love. This is by the grace of God. We're built to love something. But without God, we'll turn all of our focus onto someone or something else. In this case, spiders. When we hear the gospel, though, when we look to the good news of Jesus Christ, 
and truly engage with God in prayer and ask him to move our hearts, we're forever changed. It's not by sheer effort. It's by hearing it. It's by being moved. It's by falling in love. You don't force yourself to fall in love. It's the gospel itself that reorients us. Listen to this. We talk about this each week, but if you gloss over it week to week or think it's old news that you need to graduate from, this gospel of grace that our presiders tell us about each week, that I talk about each week, that we sing about each week, then you must slow down and hear this again because it's the most astounding, life-changing thing you'll ever encounter and that we wander away from day by day. The response of, I can't stop thinking about God, only makes sense in this context when it's news to us all over again and we marvel at it. Hearts move to awe and love by what God has done. While we might struggle with this in private prayer, the one who loves us never struggles with this. So not only does Jesus do and say things that are altogether lovely to us in private, not only does he declare his love for us and draw us near in private, he even comes to this earth in the incarnation, becoming like us to make us more like him. And he makes the most public declaration of love possible on the cross where he dies for us to the point that it's declared before all people unashamed to the point where it's repeated for generations to come, even this morning. He takes our place so that we can take his, taking on our unrighteousness and receiving the punishment that's due to us for our idolatry, for the way we make gods of all sorts of other things. And he gives us his righteousness, that we would receive the rewards that's due to him for his obedience and his faith. And he continues to draw us near day by day, moment by moment, in private places and in public places, that we might be discipled to grow in our love for private prayer. Let this move your heart. Let this be news to you all over again. Each morning, what Jesus did and what God's doing even now as he calls you to talk with him in private, in prayer, as his child, as a child would to his father. There's no way for us to grow in our love for God out of sheer will, only by his gift. So ask him for it. I'm gonna pray for us now, but I encourage you, go home after Sunday groups or the family fellowship time or whatever else that you might have. And before you do anything else, close the door to your room and pray. We no longer have any need to babble on and on in prayer because he hears you. You don't need magic words to get his attention as pagans might believe. Only go and take some time to pray for yourselves. And we pray for us.
Father, in the warning that you give to us through your son Jesus, you tell us not to pray like the hypocrites do. That's our heart's natural leaning. It's so much easier to pray when we're amongst our brothers and sisters, when we're seen by them, when we're mindful of them. And oftentimes we place their opinions about the way that we pray above the person we're supposed to be praying to. You are God, our Father, the one that we claim to be in relationship with. We don't want to be those people that only see you as useful, but we want to view you to a child. Your natural disposition towards us is love, not disappointment, not anger, not anything else but love. Let us cling to that hope and let that knowledge move our hearts. Let it be too much for us that you have towards us in our hearts and find them. Measured more than the sand on the sea. Guide us, Lord. Guide our hearts, change our hearts, and help us to love you once again. Deepen our faith in you. If we don't have private prayer lives to speak of, start them in us today go away to our rooms that we might speak with you and find ourselves in the secret place known by you loved by you and that we might love you be with us we pray in Jesus name